by the rivers of life and bearing fruit in every season. Okay, so it's on the screen now. You can say it with me. I am planted in a place of blessing. I am growing in victory. I am standing in strength. I am anointed with fresh oil. I proclaim that God is good and faithful. I proclaim that the Lord is my strength. I proclaim God never made a mistake with me. I proclaim God empowered my life for triumph. I shout for joy for all God's done for me. Mighty miracles and God's power at work in my life. I shout in celebration of praise to the Lord. I love Jesus and I trust in the Lord. My generation seeks the Lord and does what is right in God's eyes. We are a force of heirs, a righteous and blessed generation who speak the good news of Jesus for the salvation of many people. Hallelujah. Now we have our miracle song that we've been singing since the beginning of the year. This is a song given to us by Holy Spirit. And then we're going to sing Build My Life. And that's going to be a song we sing every time we meet. All right, here we go. You're welcome to get on the drums, the trumpet. I'm living a miracle every day and every way. I'm living a miracle every day and every way. I'm living a miracle every day and every way. I'm living a miracle. Thank you, Jesus. 
song starts off by talking about how worthy Jesus is. Hasn't he been so good to you? Yes. Love him so much. Yes. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise.
that you are a firm foundation that we build our lives upon. Thank you that you are a holy God and that, Jesus, you have the name that is above every name and you alone are worthy of all praise. We thank you, Father, for a Holy Spirit and we listen now to hear what the Spirit has to say. Oh, I love you, I love you, I love you. I have created all of creation just for you. The sun, the moon, the stars are all there to light your day. I love you. I have created all of creation just for you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your love. It's amazing. It's awesome. We love you. And we thank you that you created creation for us. Thank you, Lord. All right. Thank you, Heartfelt Fire Worship Band and our new generation Air Force youth. You sound good and you look good. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. As we get ready for Melissa to teach us, I'm going to share... A scripture about giving tithes and offerings. So Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So this was written to an agricultural culture. So... For them to have barns filled with plenty of produce from their fields and for their vats to be bursting with wine, that meant they had more than enough. So when we honor God with our wealth and with the first fruits of all that come into us, so whatever increase of money or resources that we receive, whether we earn it or whether it's a gift given to us, The word of God tells us to give 10%. That's a tithe. And then we give offerings, expressing our love to God. And so we have the the, uh, offering container in the hallway. You can always give your offerings there when we come to Air Force. And then we have Bibles here. If you need a Bible or if you have a phone, you can... Get on your Bible app and follow Melissa as she teaches us today. Thank you. Hello, everybody. I'm going to put these announcements down here. Okay. Well, I feel like extra loud. (laughs) All right. Today we are talking about what your worth is, okay? Oh, but first, we're going to open up in prayer. 
So thank you, Heavenly Father, for this time that we come together to learn about you and to hear your word to flow that flows through me. And we thank you that we hear the voice of Holy Spirit, and Holy Spirit is welcome here to have your way here. And we just thank you that our ears and our heart are open to hear and receive of the revelation and the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so at some point, I'm going to, like, as I'm preaching and teaching or however this comes out, um, I am going to record it for, like, our podcast parts of it, but the beginning part that I'm doing, I already recorded for the podcast, so it's going to happen at some point, okay? Okay, um, I forget what I called this. I typed up something different on the computer than I did, like, for social media, so it's about the worth of Jesus' life, okay, the cost of Jesus' life. That's what I called it. So it is all about your worth. And this originally started because I read Isaiah 43, verses 1 to 4. So that's where we're going to start. Oh, look, it opened up right to it on my computer. (laughs) All right. I go back and forth between the message translation and the passion translation for most of this. So right now we're in the message. All right. And I love the message translation for those of you who don't know because it is very straightforward. It cracks me up. I first read it one time. Like I really didn't use the message translation that much. And then I used it for something for some verse I looked up and like, you know, just to check different translations and the verse that I looked up when I translated it, it was like, shut up and listen. And I was like, I tell people that all the time. (laughs) Okay. So Isaiah 43 verses one to four, it says, but now God's message, right? The God who made you in the first place. Isn't that awesome? God made you in the very first place. Nobody else made you, so nobody else gets to define you and tell you who you are except the word of God. So, Jacob, the one who got you started, Israel, don't be afraid. I've redeemed you. I've called your name, you're mine. When you're in over your head, I'll be there with you. When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end. First off, how hopeful is that, right? How many of you, like, with school or work, have ever felt, like, overwhelmed at one point or another? Right? I have. I work in a high school. It happens sometimes. Just this um, Valentine's Day, right? High school is a very emotional time period. Um, There was a lot that had happened that week, but especially on Valentine's Day, you know, it's all about love and emotions and all that sort of stuff. And so it just so happened that that day there was a lot of, there was a lot of fights that day, too for something completely separate. But then also, there's a lot of emotions with, like, love and different things, whether people were feeling love or not feeling love. And it was, like, 8 o'clock in the morning, and I had, like, I swear the entire hallway was just, like, screaming. Either screaming with joy because they, like, got balloons and teddy bears, or there was a few people who were screaming and, like, crying because they were upset that they didn't have balloons. And I was, like, I was not prepared for that first thing in the morning. (laughs) So... 
people get overwhelmed, right? It happens. You feel like in over your head. You might feel that you're drowning. You're in rough, rough waters. Just like a tactic of the enemy sometimes is to like overwhelm you, right? Where like everything just feels to happen all at the same time to kind of, you know, toss you back and forth or knock you off your feet. But God says that he will be there with you and you will not go down. And when you're between a rock and a hard place and you feel like there's no way out, there's always a way out, right? And one of the Bible verses in the Passion Translation, I know it says, like, there is a thousand ways, right? God has a thousand ways to get you out of any situation, at least, at minimum. And then it says, because I am God, your personal God. Isn't it awesome that you can say that your God is like the almighty God, right? The creator of the whole world, of the whole universe, Right? Our universe is huge, and according to science people, it's still expanding. Like, God is still creating. There is always more to explore and more to discover. And that huge God is also right inside you. That, like, blows my mind. It's so exciting. So, I am God, your personal God. That means, you know, like, if you have, like, a personal, like, chauffeur or, like, personal servants, like, they're there for you, They're not there for, like, anybody else. They're there for you, to help you, to help you figure things out, to, you know, any time you want to go somewhere, they they do everything for you and help you, right? So God is your personal God. He's there to help you. That's why we have Holy Spirit, our comforter, our advocate, like, in times of everything that we could ever think, need, want, desire, God is there for us. The Holy of Israel, your Savior, I paid a huge price for you, all of Egypt, with rich Cush, Cush, I don't know how you say that one, and Seba thrown in. That's how much you mean to me. That's how much I love you. I'd sell off the whole world to get you back, trade the creation just for you. So, I read that, and that verse just, like, jumped out at me. And I had questions, obviously, because I was like, wow. Just how much is that? Like, if you would sell the whole world, like, how much money is that? Because people can place, like, value on you or value on items and things. We live in a world where, you know, people place numbers on things. You go to the store, there's price tags. It's not like you get to choose how much you pay for things. Like, they have a set price, right? So I was wondering, like, okay, here's this huge price, all of Egypt with rich Kush and Kush and Seba thrown in. That's how much you mean to me. So I was like, well, I wonder exactly how much that was. And so at that time, Egypt, this was after, um, you know, Joseph and everything. Egypt had 97% of the world's wealth at that time. Because with the famine that um, happened, right, it happened all over the world. There were seven years where, like, nothing grew. And so Egypt... With Joseph being in charge, not only was Joseph called to save his family and his country, but also to save the whole world at that point, because Egypt was the only one that had food. And speaking of hugeness, right, this whole country stopped counting during the seven years of plentiful. They stopped counting how much stuff they had. They couldn't even account for it, right? Now, that's a lot, because for detailed people and everything, like accountants, they count for everything. Like, so to get to the point where they're like, eh, we're not even going to bother writing down how much stuff we have is incredible, because they're like, they count for everything, right? And it's a whole country. Like, how can you run a country and just, like, not know the finances and just be like, ah, we have enough. (laughs) 
Like, you imagine how much money that actually is. So, Egypt had 97% of the world's wealth because Joseph was smart. When people came for food, he asked them for, you know, after they ran out of money, then he was, like, asking for their land or asking for their cattle or, you know, hey, you can come work for me then and you can work off the debt that you owe me for, like, the food that you purchased because he wasn't just giving away the food for free. Right. So not only did they own all of that money, but then they had like a huge labor force. Right. For everybody. And they did lots of work and all of that things. And um, (coughs) Egypt just had like so much and more land and everything, too, because people gave everything they could because they wanted to eat. It's a very important thing. Okay, so Egypt had 97 percent of the world's wealth and then they were plundered in one day. All of that wealth. When all of the slaves and the Israelites, when they left Egypt, they literally just asked them for their money, and they walked out. (laughs) And I was like, that is amazing, okay? So when they talk about, like, the huge price that they paid, that's part of what they're talking about, right? It was, like, the world's wealth, basically, at that point. It was a huge superpower. It was, like, all of the countries, like, if you combine all of the countries here on Earth, except for, like, Let's say, like, three countries, right? And, like, I'm in, like, tiny islands or something like that. That's how much, like, wealth that Egypt had, that one country had. It was amazing. So I also looked up on the Internet, how much is the world worth, like, the earth? Turns out other people have thought of this, too. (laughs) There's this astrophysicist, right? I don't remember his name. But if you look up how much is the world worth, you'll find it. And he did an estimation that it is worth five quadrillion dollars. Now, I was laughing I was reading this because the guy is not a Christian. So this was his best guess based on, like, other planets and, like, Earth's ability to sustain life. Okay? So, like, Mars, I think, like, the one closest to the sun was worth, like, $300 or something like that. I, I was cracking up as I read these evaluations. <clears throat> so, I encourage you, for a laugh, you should look it up. Like, so, Earth is very extremely valuable. Like, we are in the perfect spot from the sun. We have just the right amount of temperatures. We have the moon. We have the oceans. Like, everything that God set up is perfect. Okay. Does anybody want to guess, by the way, how many zeros quadrillion is? Close. Fifteen. If I did my math correctly, it should be fifteen zeros. So that is like a million is six zeros. (laughs) Did you look it up? Josiah. (laughs) Okay, so... um, Like a million has six zeros, right? And then it's billion, which has nine zeros. Now, just from a million to a billion, right? A million seconds is like, I think I've told you guys this before, 11 and a half days. And a billion seconds is 33 and a half years. Okay? So every time you leap, okay, we are leaping a lot. So it's past million, and then billion, and then trillion, and then you get to quadrillion, right? It is way, way out here. It is a lot, a lot of money, okay? 
And I'm pretty sure that's on the conservative side. Like, that's just, like, Earth's ability. I don't think that, you know, they don't know for sure, like, how much is actually underneath all of the Earth and all of the natural resources. Not to mention, you can't put a price on, like, people's brain and intellect, too. Like, if you also count that with, like, intellectual property and patents and everything, like, the vast is infinite, okay? So, that is how much we mean to God. You know how people always wish, like, oh, I wish I had a million dollars? You want way more than that. I'm just saying. I want way more than that. A million dollars is nothing. Like, compared to, like, the earth and what's at our fingertips and the word of God and our ability and our power to get wealth, a million dollars is just a drop in the bucket. Okay. So, I want to continue to show you how big our God is. Okay. So, Psalms 98.1. All right, Psalms 98.1, it says, Sing to God a brand new song. He's made a world of wonders. Isn't that fabulous? Like, we live in a wonderful world. He rolled up his sleeves. He set things right. That's a funny image to me, that God has sleeves and that he's rolling them up. (laughs) Okay. So, We can sing to God a brand new song for our wonderful world that is filled with so many wonders and so many good things and so many great things. That's the perspective that we need to have of our world. I know a lot of times the narrative and the story in the news or even social media can be like, oh, you know, we're burning up the atmosphere or, you know, the earth's going to, we're going to use all the resources. That's impossible. Like, just with God and his abundant life and everything, that is absolutely impossible. Okay, Psalms, yeah, Psalm 139, 13-17. And if you've come to this church before or watched online, you know this is a passage that we go to often <laughs> and reference often. Psalms 139. And... This is about King David is just singing like a poetry song, right? So I'm gonna, you can read the whole thing if you want to. It's, you know, how God knows all about you. We're going to focus on 13 to 17. And this one I have in the Passion Translation. So Psalms 139, 13 to 17. It says, You formed my innermost being, shaping my delicate inside and my intricate outside. And wove them all together in my mother's womb. I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. Everything you do is marvelously breathtaking. It simply amazes me to think about it. How thoroughly you know me, Lord. You even formed every bone in my body when you created me in the secret place. Carefully, skillfully shaping me from nothing to something. You saw who you created me to be before I became me. Before I'd ever even seen the light of day, the number of days you planned for me were already recorded in your book. Yeah, every single moment you are thinking of me, how precious and wonderful to consider that you cherish me constantly in your every thought. Oh God, your desires toward me are more than the grains of sand on every shore. 
when I wake each morning, you're still with me. Right? So showing, like, how huge our God is, right? Everything and all that he's created, and he created us as well. Right? We are formed so delicately and intricately, and there's just, like, everything, all the systems in our body work together, like, perfectly and so well. That is exactly how God designed it. Like, he knows you better than anybody and took time to create you with his thoughts and his words. And he thinks about you every moment, like, more than the sand every moment. That's a lot of thoughts. Like, if your mind has ever gone blank, God's mind has never gone blank. <laughs> and not, and that's with every single person, right? Every single person on the whole earth, all eight-something billion people, right? God is thinking about every single one of them every single moment. That's at least eight billion thoughts every second. And there, that's way more than that, right? That's the minimum because God's thinking like, a gazillion times of us every second. So it outnumbers the money that Egypt had. That's just God's thoughts alone, okay? That's not even him doing anything, like, spectacular and coordinating everything. That's just him thinking about how much he loves you, right? How awesome he did creating you. How special and loved and treasured and valued that you are. And, like, all of those things. He's singing over us. That's in Zephaniah three, seventeen, right? He sings over us. That's how big our God is. Okay. So, Psalms 98.2. I just realized that I should have read that when I read verse 1. <laughs> Apparently, when I was looking up these scriptures, I, they just kind of came in the order. They weren't, like, actually in order. So, 98.1 was not next to 98.2. <laughs> Okay, Psalms 98.2, God made history with salvation. That right there is just something to shout about, right? God made history with salvation. He showed the world what he could do. So Jesus dying on the cross was like the biggest blow to the enemy that ever happened, that ever will happen. At that very moment, not only did Jesus like save everybody who was on the earth at that time, he saved everybody who had ever been born. And then he saved everybody before who didn't have a chance to hear the gospel. He got a chance to preach the gospel to them and get them saved as well, too, which is what I'm going to get to soon, which was very, very exciting to me. Okay, so that's what God did with salvation. Like the whole plan that he had, like he saved the whole earth for forever, for eternity. And that is a lot. <clears throat> John twenty-one twenty-five. So John, who's all about love and is the disciple that Jesus loves, as he calls himself, which makes me laugh too. <laughs> he says in 21, verse 25. There are so many other things Jesus did. If they were all written down, each of them, one by one, I can't imagine a world big enough to hold such a library of books. And I love books. I have lots of books. Even in my tiny little apartment right now, I have like 250 books. Imagine if I filled my whole apartment with books, like I couldn't even walk into it. That would be like thousands of books. And that's just my apartment. Like, that's not the whole house, that's not the whole street, that's not the whole world, filled with books all about every single thing that Jesus has done. 
if you think about it, like if you could even record, like since, you know, you created us and everything, every single breath is literally a miracle. Like we recorded just us living and us breathing and doing everything. That's also a miracle. We sang that song. We're living a miracle. Like we are literally living a miracle. So I want to talk about also the value of your life, right? Because people try and put a lot of, like, numbers on things. So I was also thinking, well, in the Bible, what did they say Jesus' life was worth? They said it was worth 30 pieces of silver, which I looked up the rate of silver and everything. In today's value, that's, like, $265 that, like, Judas sold him out for. And I had wondered this question before, and I looked up why, like, why was it 30 pieces of silver? Turns out it's because of a law that happened way back in Exodus, okay? In Exodus 21, verse 30, 30-ish, 30 to 32, there's a whole set of rules, okay? And it talks about what happens if a bull escapes. I was like, but this is very detailed. <laughs> I was like, I wonder how often this happened, like... That the bulls were just, like, out roaming around. I don't know. Like, anyhow, it's around verse 31 and verse 32. It says, if a bull gores a son or a daughter, he is to be dealt with according to the same law. Okay? If the ox gores a male or female slave or servant at that time, he must give 30 shekels of silver to the slave's master, and then the ox must be stoned. So that 30 shekels came from Exodus, and it basically shows how Jesus, like the price that was paid for Jesus' life was the price of a servant. Right? And that's one of the things that Jesus was showing his disciples, like when he washed their feet, like serve. Right? Like I have come not to be served, but to serve. So I just found that that was very interesting. Like that was the price of Jesus' life. And we know that he obviously did like so much more than that. But like he came to serve and to fulfill God's purpose for him and die on the cross for us. Like his purpose was to die for us, which I think is just amazing and like very overwhelming as well. So that was the price of a servant. And as I was talking about earlier, that whole thing, right, salvation, we raised everybody from the dead who didn't get a chance to hear. Okay, I, I don't know if you all got a chance to listen to it. Pastor Patty Akui was preaching somewhere, and I should find out where. And I'll share it in the group so everyone can, and post it for Air Force so everybody can listen to it. But she teaches about, um, like a lot of what happened in the salvation story and what happened with like, you know, hell, purgatory and heaven and kind of explains everything that happened. So the part I got a lot out of it, but the main thing that I learned was that you know, before Jesus came, Jesus wasn't around. So there was like they couldn't forgive sins cuz Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. So all of the people beforehand who didn't get a chance to hear the gospel preached because the gospel hadn't happened yet, they were kind of all in an area. Like Satan thought that he had all of them like captured in hell. Like that was part of like his plan basically. Like especially like the people who were very wicked, especially with like Noah's flood, right? Everybody died. Like it was only eight righteous people as far as we know. It might have only just been Noah, but for sure at least eight people were saved and everybody else was gone. Okay? And they, even though Noah shared the, you know, shared, hey, 
it's going to rain. They were like, they didn't believe him, and they didn't turn and become righteous or anything along those lines. So all of those people and everybody since then, up until Jesus, did not get, some of them didn't get a chance to hear the gospel. And so they're all in this, like, holding tank, basically, and Satan basically thinks that he has them, that he's like, you know, he's winning against Jesus at this point and winning against God. Like, haha, I have all these people and how many people are going to heaven? None. Okay. Because again, Jesus hadn't come yet. So that wasn't a thing. You got to listen to her whole explanation of it. But when Jesus died on the cross, right, for those three days that he was buried, he, she was explaining all the scriptures for it, but he was basically down in hell or purgatory. I forget which one. And was preaching to all of those people. And she was like, now, if Jesus showed up to you, why you are already dead and started preaching the gospel, don't you think they would have all believed what he had to say? (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I feel like that's, you know, pretty logical. That, you know, if all of a sudden, like, you can tell it's Jesus and he comes down and starts preaching about himself. And you're like, hey, you weren't here before. Like, how come you're so happy? Because where they were was probably not the happiest place. And he gets the chance to preach the gospel to them. And then she said that she believes that when Jesus came up out of the grave and everything, right, got raised back to life, that he took all of those people that he was just preaching the gospel with, with him to heaven. So we know that, like, when Jesus died on the cross, that he defeated death, hell, and the grave and defeated Satan. But not only did that, it was a complete and total victory because he basically took all of those people that Satan had captured and took them too. It was like he had to start all over again. Like, because Satan probably thought, like, oh, I just lost to, like, God again. Like, I lost to Jesus. And then, you know, that one person, oh, I didn't realize that, you know, you can't really die. But it was such a huge loss to the enemy because he lost everything. Everything that he had been working for for thousands of years beforehand that we know of with the flood and all of that leading up to it, completely gone and wiped away. Right? That's so many people. And that... My mom, I remember, she said, she shared one time that that was just the arm of the Lord that saved, like, the whole world for all of eternity. Like, that's just God going like this. Whoosh. That's so simple. <laughs> like, can you imagine the power? Like, it's just, it was just God just, like, moving his arm, like, reaching down, and, like, the whole power of his arm, he reached down and raised Jesus and everybody else. And got to hear the gospel, and for all of eternity, like, those people are saved, and everybody from that point forward also has the chance to be saved. Every person who will ever be born. So, you are worth so much, because God did all of that just for you. Right? You're worth more than, like, a sparrow. They talk about that in Matthew and in some of the gospels, where it talks about, like, why do you worry? Like, God clothes the sparrows, the, the lilies of the field, right? They're very beautiful, and they don't worry about, like, getting dressed in the morning or what they're going to have for breakfast or anything like that, right? You are worth more than sheep, right? You are worth so much more than any type of, like, animal that's been created, every type of bug, every type of inanimate object that I can think of, plants, trees, everything, right? You are worth much more than that. And you are also completely unique, there is nobody who has been born who will, who looks like you or who will ever look like you, right? 
because of all of the different things about us. So your fingerprints, your DNA, how your brain works, how your personality works, how you think, what you look like, the things you like to do, the things you like to say, how you say things, even your accent, like where you're from. Like There will never be anybody like you ever again. You are 100% completely unique, even if you're a twin or triplet or quadruplet or however many duplets you can have, okay? <laughs> okay. Um, so I was also looking up, you know, since I was looking up a whole bunch of things about how much people are worth and all that stuff, I was curious because, like I said, people try and put value on things, wondering, like, how much is the human life worth? So I found out that the Federal Aviation, okay, so the people who are in charge of, like, transportation and doing, like, test crashes and all that sort of stuff, they evaluate a human life at basically it's $10 million. Yeah. Which I think, one, is way too low. But then when you also be like, oh, if only I had a million dollars, like, when you put that in the context of, like, they believe, like, the human life is worth $10 million, I was like, a million dollars is not that much, right? And then other places were saying, like, numbers much less than that. But that doesn't make any sense, okay? You really can't put a price on the human life. My point was that, though, people are going to try to put, like, labels on you, and you don't let the world label you, okay? They do that because they have, like, accounting things that they have to do or money that they need to spend or people that they're trying to, like, hold them accountable. Like, at what point do we, like, you know, stop producing this kind of car because we're going to lose more money than what we're going to make? They do that all for, like, mathematical stuff. But we are worth so much more than just math or just science or art or English or any other subject that there is, right? We are a whole person, a whole human being. So... You are worth a lot. So then I started thinking, well, then what are we worth? Like, what does the Bible actually say that we are worth? Because I know it doesn't say you're worth, like, $10. I know that for sure. Like, it doesn't put a price on the human life, okay? So, oh, I remember. The other value was $20,000, and that was because I looked up, like, if you donate blood, like, how much it would be worth if you donated all of your blood. Like, the value, you know, what makes you live. I was very curious. <laughs> yeah. So, it makes no sense, by the way, okay? So, I'm just saying. Like, that's how, like, weird the world is. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So, oh, I forgot one of my definitions. So, we're going to talk about what worth and worthy is, okay? So, worthy means, like, standard. Like, qualified, qualify for, okay? Worth is determined by the price someone is willing to pay. Yeah. Right? If you're worthy of something, then you have met the standard for something, or you qualify for something, okay? That was, like, the best definition that I could come up with. And I even looked it up on, like, the computer, and I just summarized it to those two words because that's what made the most sense. And your worth is determined by the price someone is willing to pay. In our economy, we have, like, markets, you know, stock markets. They go up and down and that kind of stuff. We're not stock, stock market value or price or anything like that. What Jesus, our value is based on what Jesus was willing to pay for us, which was everything. 
Okay? And like we were reading in Isaiah 43, right? He would trade the whole world just to get us back. Trade creation. Everything that he created, all of the whole world, the stars, the earth, all the gazillion planets that are out there, all of the different types of animals, birds, trees, plants, everything. God would have traded it all just for us, just for me and you. So I looked up what um, not worth of first, okay, because then it gets very exciting. So Matthew 10, 37. And I don't know which translation this is, so we're just going to wing it. Oh, and actually, this is going to be a good time for me to start recording. Be like, pause for a commercial break. So you get to hear me say hello twice. Okay, everybody ready? (laughs) Thank you. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our podcast, The Tapestry of Your Life. This is Melissa, and I'm in the middle of preaching, so you get to join as I preach to our youth group. Okay, so we are in Matthew 10:37, which says, The person who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The person who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Okay, so when I read that in the context of like worth and what we think of with value, I was like, oh, okay, because the focus needs to be on Jesus, right, and what he did for us and what he has called us to do and his purpose for us. Like that was the the whole reason he died on the cross was for us to have a relationship with him. It's great that we have, you know, father and mother, and it doesn't say that, you know, we shouldn't love them, but it says that if you love your father and mother more than you love Jesus, right? So if your family becomes like an idol and you put them before what God has called you to do, that's what's wrong, right? And that can be something that's difficult to do, like with family emergencies, you know, it's very common thing to be like, oh, you're supposed to always be there for family. You don't leave your family, like you're always supposed to be there and that kind of thing. And you do want to be supportive of your family and be there for them, but when God tells you to. Like, it doesn't come above the assignment that God has for you. Or if God says, like, if a family member's in the hospital, if God says, you know, if you ask, oh, should I go visit them today? If God says no, then you don't go that day. Maybe you go the next day or in the morning. Like, you go by Holy Spirit's and God's instructions to you, right? Nothing should be put above Jesus. It doesn't matter what it is. Because when you put Jesus first, then everything else will be aligned and everything else will work out for the best so keep reading it says and whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me so also looking at like worthy if you're worthy of something it means that you were qualified to have been written said done or created by fill in the blank so somebody might say like oh that's worthy of like Einstein's approval, right, or something like that. That means that you were you are qualified to have been written or said or that you've done something to the standard of whatever person they're referencing, okay? So that's like what worthy means or being worthy of something. 
So whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me is saying whoever doesn't take up his cross, right, and his purpose and everything and follow Jesus is not qualified to have been written, said, done, or created by, or written, said, or done of Jesus and everything. So, you know, a lot of times there's a lot of conflict. You know, people will be like, oh, we did all of these things. And, you know, the father's like, I don't know you. Like, who is you? Right? When I read this, it made me think of that scripture. Right? So the whole idea is that you have to take up your purpose. Right? Take up your calling, what God has called you and told you to do. And that is what makes you worthy. Okay. Philippians 1.27. Philippians 1.27. Just one thing. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you want your life to have the standard and to qualify to preach the gospel and to tell the gospel. Right. So that way, also, when the world looks at you, they don't see like a mismatch. Right. A lot of people are like, oh, you're a Christian. You're supposed to be like this. You're supposed to be like that. Part of the world does have their standards a little bit skewed with certain things. However, you know, when they see you, they should also see what it looks like to look just like Jesus, to look like the gospel. Okay. It says, then whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, working side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel. So standing firm together, you have one mind working side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel. All right, 2 Thessalonians 1.11. Make sure I have the right one, actually. Second Thessalonians. Yeah, okay. So it says, We keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Right? Your life is worth the call of the living God. I was so excited about this. Like, how great is that we know that's what our life is worth. We are worthy of being called by the living God to do something here on earth. Right? Like, and it doesn't have to be something, like, huge and complicated. Right? Like, some people, their purpose might be to be, like, president and run a country. And for other people, their purpose might just be, like, they need to be at a certain place at a certain time to help this one person and you have fulfilled your calling or it might be that you're supposed to preach or you're supposed to prophesy or you're just supposed to be a servant or whatever it is that you are your life is worth the call of God you don't ever have to feel not good enough by what God has asked you to do because that's not how it works your whole life the whole reason you're here is to live a life that is worthy of what God has called you to do and he empowers you to do that and because he created you like he did in Psalm 139 All of your insides, he knows every single part of you, you can handle it, right? And when he gives you an instruction, he gives you the grace and the anointing to be able to do it and complete it. So that way you have a track record of winning, right? Because you want the victory and you have to fight something and win to have the victory, right? 
So that is what your life is worth. It's not worth in dollars. It's not worth with money. It's not legacy. It's not how much you leave behind. It's not like, oh, I hugged this many people or I made this many friends or I did, you know, this many social media posts and everybody interacted. You know, I made sweatshirts and T-shirts for everyone to wear. It's nothing materialistic, right? Your life is worth the call of the living God. And that is amazing. So the value, right, I looked up the diff- value goes along with, like, worthy, right? So value, the real value of a thing is its power or capacity to produce good. So the real value of a thing is in its power or capacity of producing good. That's value, Right? So the more we put a higher value on things that are useful, right, and that are producing good for us. You know, we like good things better than we like bad things. If it doesn't do what it's supposed to or what it's created to do, then we aren't going to pay for it. Like, right? If you buy something at the store and then it breaks and it becomes, you know, not useful, it's not cr- created and producing good, which is the whole reason you bought it, like a waffle maker, if it doesn't help you make waffles, well, then you take it back. <laughs> right so that is like its value is based on its ability to produce good right if a waffle maker doesn't produce waffles no good okay all right ephesians 4 1 says as a prisoner of the lord i plead with you to walk holy in a way that is suitable to your high rank Given to you in your divine calling. That's Ephesians 4, verse 1. Right? And so prisoner doesn't mean like what we think of with a prisoner. It just means that you are completely captured by the Lord. You are captivated by him. You wouldn't want to go anywhere else. Okay? So it says, I plead with you to walk holy, which is another word for also worthy. If you're walking worthy of something, you have lived up to that standard. You have kept yourself pure and holy like that's the standard. Okay, so holy and worthy, they kind of work together. So I plead with you to walk holy in a way that is suitable to your high rank. Did you know you have a high rank? Isn't that exciting? There is no, like, low man on the totem pole kind of, like, mentality. Like, in the world, you always got to, like, start at the bottom and, like, work your way up in that kind of process. That's not how the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God, you have a high rank. You are a high-ranking official. That means that you get to command things, right? If you have a high rank, you get to tell people what to do. That is awesome, right? (laughs) Uh, So as Christians, like we were saying earlier, like creation was created for us. We get to tell creation how to operate. The angels are there for us to command. Creation is there for us to command. Like we have a high rank. We are automatically just being created as humans. We are above everything else except the Lord, right? We are above angels, animals, plants, anything else above the demons, like everything, okay? Okay. So we want to walk in our high rank, and that was given to us in our divine calling. So your life, your life is worth a divine calling. It is worth walking in that high rank and walking in your authority that you have with Jesus. Hebrews 11, 
right? This is the chapter known as like the Hall of Faith chapter. So Hebrews 11, and I'm just going to read verses 1 and 2. Okay. The fundamental fact of, of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors and set them above the crowd. Right? So you want to live a life worthy of God's calling, worthy of faith. All of those people that were listed there were listed because of their faith, because they walked in faith with their calling and fulfilling their purpose and everything that they were supposed to do and looking forward. That is a life worth living, right? And it's the firm foundation under everything that we trust God. So part of like having a life worthy of living in your high rank is trusting God. And that just looks like like you build trust by talking with people, right? Just like, you know, you ever do like those trust fall experiments, right? Yeah. Um, I know they do them in school and they always do like, um, what do they call it? Social emotional learning and like building relationships and different things like that. You learn each other's names. You know, you learn to like how to value people and talk with them and interact with them. You do the same thing with God, right? You talk with God. You listen to God. You get to learn the voice of God and different stuff as you talk to him more, right? Read the word. You talk with other people. Like, you know, you have common friends, right? Like, I'm friends with God. Abby's friends with God. Abby and I can be friends, right? You can have common friends and spend time talking about your common friends, okay? So you can talk about the Lord and his word and what he's sharing with you, and that's part of, like, the body of Christ and the church. And you also get strengthened that way, too. So all of those things help you to build trust so that way when God, you know, when you hear God calling you and being like, hello, time to go do this activity or time to go minister to this person, You know the voice of the Lord, and you trust him, and you can just go and do it because you are confident in who God is and in who you are as well, knowing that you're worth what God has called you to be. So you don't have to be afraid because, you know, you know your value and your worth. Okay. I got, like, two more scriptures, I think. So 2 Timothy 4. You guys are good, right? Okay. Thank you. 2 Timothy 4, and this is 6 to 8. It says, you take over. What a great start to scripture. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm just like taking over. That's my mom's side. You know, she's very much like the warrior person, right? She loves like all the fighting words. So anything that has to do with war and defense and like shields and battles, she just loves to hear those things, Right? So you take over. It says, I'm about to die my life, an offering on God's altar. This is the only race worth running. I've run hard right to the finish, believed all the way. All that's left now is the shouting, God's applause. Depend on it. He's an honest judge. He'll do right not only by me, but by everyone eager for his coming. Right? So this is... um Paul and Timothy, right? Timothy's had a rough go of it sometimes, so Paul writes to him and encourages him. Because Timothy's, like, 
stuck alone on an island with like a bunch of sinners who don't know anything about church or about God. And so he's teaching them, but there's sometimes where it's a little bit bumpy. Okay. So he needs some encouragement. So he's saying basically your life is an offering on God's altar, right? Our whole life is like a sacrifice of praise to God. Like God sacrificed for us. And so in return, we sacrifice for him. And so it's like this beautiful exchange. And you find that as you, like, sacrifice to God, like, more life comes to you, right? And that is the only race worth running, where you have a life that you can offer to God, right? Because that's exactly what God did for us, is he offered his son's life for us so that we could have a relationship together, which is just so beautiful. Okay, Romans 14, 17 to 18. All right, it says, God's kingdom isn't a matter of what you put in your stomach for goodness sake. It's what God does with your life as he sets it right, puts it together, and completes it with joy. Your task is to single-mindedly serve Christ. Do that, and you'll kill two birds with one stone, pleasing the God above you and proving your worth to the people around you. Right? So your task is to single-mindedly serve Christ. So simple, right? All you got to do, focus on serving God. And you can do that through worship. You do that through praise. You do that through, like, fulfilling your calling, doing your purpose, you know, like, your heart's desire. Like, that's part of serving the Lord, too. He's not going to, like, force you to do, like, all of the things you don't like as part of, like, a sacrifice to him. He's going to encourage you to also fulfill your heart's desires because, When you're happy, God's happy, right? Just like you would be with, like, friends and stuff, too, okay? Okay. Which one of the references, um, in losing your life, you find it. That's in Matthew 10 and 29 to 42. So you can read that section of scripture if you would like to. But that's, like, for extra study. So, all of this to say, in Psalm 139, verse 5, and this is in the Passion Translation, we come full circle again. It says, you've gone into my future to prepare the way, and in kindness you follow behind me to spare me from the harm of my past. With your hand of love upon my life, you impart a blessing to me. Right? So part of serving Christ and everything, and being single-mindedly serving him, and the Part of your calling is the blessing, right? And I was thinking, I was like, how would you describe the blessing? Any suggestions? Because I was really thinking, like, how do you put the blessing into words? You guys can actually answer, by the way. Okay. Like I said, I came up with some things, but I am open to more options. Like this was one of those things that I was just thinking about that I was like, huh, I wonder how people would describe what the blessing of the Lord looks like and how it operates. Oh, by the way, I'm going to end the podcast now. (laughs) Thank you, everybody, for listening.
Any other suggestions or things that people can think of? Always enough? Okay. As far as I know, there's no, like, right or wrong answer here, so whatever you guys think of. Um, I was thinking of, like, home court advantage. Where, like, it was, like, the phrase that, like, popped into my spirit, right? You guys ever heard of that with, like, you know, sports and things like that? They're, like, home field, home court advantage, which they've done studies, and some studies say it's a real thing, and other studies think it's not a real thing. However, for the Super Bowl, they won't play at either uh, team's thing because they're not quite sure if it's a real thing or not. So they normally try and pick a location in the middle so that way you don't have, like, you know, all of one team's fan base there and that kind of thing, okay? So the home court advantage, that's what I thought of with the blessing. It's something that you can't always right it's something that you can't always feel but it's there and it gives you it's like that extra boost right so I just want to encourage everybody right that um, your life is worth a whole lot right Jesus died on the cross for you the cost of his life was for your life so it costs the same thing right because Jesus did it in our place and I just want to encourage you to, like, discover your value and your worth more in the Word so that way you can increase your confidence as you talk to other people, right? But Jesus died for you, and he loves you, and I just want you to know that. That's what I got. <laughs> oh, and if everybody wants prayer, I will be more than happy to pray for you. Um, that you experience God's love. So if you would like to experience God's love, you can come on up to the front.